The Aspire podcast series has been developed by Sheffield Callum University Aspire Scholars as a resource to support students on their career development journey. The Aspire programme is dedicated to eradicating structural racism in higher education, working collaboratively with institutions to implement policy changes that promote diversity and combat bias. By amplifying the voice of black scholars, the programme aims to enrich the academic community with diverse perspectives and in doing so, strengthen the foundation of knowledge for generations to come. Aspire is more than a programme, it is a catalyst for change, a path to excellence and a promise of a more inclusive tomorrow. Hi and welcome to another episode of the Aspire podcast. Today I'm joined by Reggie Nelson. Hi Reggie. Hey Tonya, how's it going? Good, thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Pleasure, pleasure. Happy to be here. So today's episode is about leaving your comfort zone. Uh, before we go into that, Reggie, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey. Sure. Um, it's a long journey, so I'll shorten, shorten it. Uh, so a bit about myself. Um, currently, I work in private equity. I work for um, a private equity firm working in private wealth. I am a published author, so I have a book called Opening Doors, which is a memoir detailing my my story and my journey. Um, and I'm a social mobility advocate, so I sit on the board of a social mobility charity called Upreach, and I help uh, students from a lower socioeconomic background sort of gain that social capital and the skills they need in order to excel in the workplace. And in terms of my journey, um, I think I'm I'm quite passionate about particularly the last point that I mentioned, just because. I didn't grow up with those tools and that social capital in order to sort of succeed or to get into the position that I'm in today. So, you know, I grew up in East London. Um, growing up was was relatively challenging. Um, didn't have sort of great role models around me. So found myself getting in, you know, trouble when I was younger, got in trouble with the law. And, you know, my, my parents struggled with alcohol as well. So my mum and dad were both sort of heavily addicted to alcohol. So there was a lot going on personally in my life and just in my surroundings. Um, and the, the way I got around that was just by playing football. So played football at a really high level, um, at youth professional level and then youth semi-professional level. But that didn't really work out. I decided to stop playing when I was when I was 17. Um, and then that's when my career into sort of finance started. Um, and I, I think we're going to get more into that. But that's like a whistle-stop tour of my journey growing up um, and I guess what I'm doing today. So the episode today, as I said, it's about um, comfort zones and kind of trying to break through those. Um, why do you think that leaving your comfort zone is essential for success? Comfort, I think your comfort zone allows a lot of room for growth. Um, and I think in order to see anything different, you have to do something different. And chances are when you're doing something different, that's when you are the most uncomfortable. I think the biggest turning point for me in my career and in my life in general was when I took a leap of faith to come out of my comfort zone. And um, when I was 17, I mentioned that I stopped playing football, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. Like I wasn't the most academic student growing up and I put all my eggs into this footballing basket. So when it was time to do something different, it was it was quite hard for me to find something else to do. Um, so I had to come up my comfort zone. I decided to just go into wealthy areas and ask people what they did to amass wealth and ask people in the streets, knock on people's doors and go into hotels in the areas and find out what people did to get into the position that 
position that they they were in at the time and that was nerve-wracking for me it was uncomfortable for me but I felt like at the time it was something I needed to do just given the fact that I didn't have immediate role models or immediate people in my way that could steer me in that direction so you know, doing that I met the head of alpha strategies which is just a fancy name for like a chief investment officer of the largest asset management company in the world he took me under his wing um, and exposed me to the world of finance and then that's where my journey into finance started I decided to go to university off the back of his advice found my academic feet in university so I did about five internships during the period whilst I was at university and then graduated with a 2-1 in, in economics and yeah started my career in finance uh, in 2017 so to your point, I think the biggest turning point for me was when I came out of my comfort zone. And although it is uncomfortable, I think it's necessary for, for growth and to see drastic change. So during that period of time, and in particularly, you know, when you were kind of door knocking and networking and moving into new opportunities, you must have felt quite vulnerable as well as kind of feeling, I guess, uncomfortable because it's something new. What mindset did you adopt? Because you could have quite easily been like, actually... I'm just going to not do this and find another way. So what yeah. made you keep going? Um, I think understanding what was potentially on the other side for me was a big motivator and a driving force. Um, growing growing up and seeing the things that I, I saw, I probably saw way too much at a young age that I probably shouldn't have seen. So that was almost scarred in my mind as well. Like if if I wanted to change the course of my life and my family's life forever, then I needed to do something quite drastic. And whenever I did feel like giving up or I did feel like, you know, this is not working out, that thought of the onus is on me to change the course of my family's life. Even if it's not, no one told me that, that's what I felt was on my shoulders. Um, so I, I thought, you know, I need to, to do this. And when I felt like I was starting to rain or I was getting cold or, you know, people aren't stopping to talk to me, that was in the back of my mind like okay I need to do something to change the course of you know the people that are dependent on me and yeah I think when I met Quinton it felt like this was meant to be and you know the, the journey sort of evolved from there. And how do you think that pushing through your comfort zone is different to risk taking or do you see it as the same thing? Um, I think risk taking and coming out your comfort zone do have many parallels, um, depending on the type of risk you do take. I think there are sort of calculated risks that you can take, which do sometimes make you feel uncomfortable. And I think the feeling you get from taking risk and coming out of your comfort zone are synonymous. Um, you do feel a sense of uncomfortability um, with both. And I think in that feeling of being uncomfortable, knowing that you are taking a sort of calculated risk, I think will pay great dividends and that's the same as sort of coming out of your comfort zone. So for me, going out and knocking on people's doors, there was a risk to that. You know, people not talking to me or someone calling the police, which they did, <laughs> um, and, and various other things that could have happened. But again, because I came out of my comfort zone, I felt like something needed to happen. Um, and lo and behold, it did. So I do feel like taking risks and coming out of your comfort zone are um there are parallels um I don't think they're exactly the same but the feeling of uncomfortability I think is the sort of driving force between the two and did you find that as you were doing these things that you felt uncomfortable doing that that 
started to build your resilience a lot more? I would say I've, I've had resilience for a while, I think. I think playing sport at a really competitive level builds a, a sense of resilience within you just because you're you're training every day, you're competing every day, you're you're pushing your body to limits that are really high. Um and that naturally builds off me and naturally built a, a sense of resilience. I think that combined with again the environment I grew up in helped to build my resilience as well because where I grew up is, is either you become a footballer, musician, or a criminal, right? And I wasn't going to, well, I tried football, it didn't work, but I wasn't going to be any of the other two. So then it's like, you've exploited all your options, what's next? And then you start to become creative and think, okay, can I do this or can I do that? And once you see what is potentially on the other side, I think that helps to drive that sort of resilience, resilient nature as well. So it's a combination of different things, but if I'm being fair to myself, I think that level of resilience, there was a, it was there from when I was playing football. And I think it just evolved and developed when I started to, to do something else. Many of our listeners will probably be very early on in their career. So they may still be in education and they may be thinking, oh, I really want to do things that are new to me and kind of push myself, but I'm scared to fail. What advice would you give? Uh, I would say you, you've got a no already um and if you do it and you get a no you're just back to where you started so if you look at it like that you've got nothing to lose um I think having a reason why you're doing it is crucially important as well because when times do get challenging or there isn't a quote-unquote light at the end of the tunnel I think drawing on that will be vital um and just understanding that if you don't do it, no one's going to do it for you. So when I was in university looking for internships, I, I was told early on that internships are like gold. So I need to go and do internships, get work experience. And you know, finance is a competitive sector. So you need to do something that's going to make you stand out. So I didn't just apply. I would go to various institutions, ask to speak to like the chief operating officer and leave my CV on their desk and reach out to people on LinkedIn and I would ask people for coffee. I would do all of the things that I could do in my in my power just so that if it didn't work, I can look back at myself and say, look, I've tried everything. And if you can look yourself in, in the eye and say that you've tried everything and it and it hasn't worked, then I think that that's not failure in itself because you've tried what you needed to try. But I think failure is when you've given up or something hasn't worked but you know that you haven't tried everything that you needed to do so um I would my biggest advice I guess would just be go for it um and if you're thinking about whether you should do something or not just look at it like you've got a no already so if you do it and it fails you've lost nothing you're back to where you started so you've got nothing to lose for those listeners who are at university, um, they will know that there are loads and loads of things that when you're at university, you can get involved in. So you're probably receiving emails every day, if not every hour, about all the different things you can get involved in. So there's a lot of uh, pressure to get involved in stuff. But at the same time, a lot of students have part time jobs and they're, you know, time precious. How do you decide or, you know, how did you decide? what things were going to be most beneficial to you in terms of which opportunities you got involved in? Yeah, so when I was at university, I I was obviously studying full-time. I had a part-time job in, in JD Sports. 
Um, I was a student ambassador and I was applying for internships. So when I had like a spring uh, during Easter, there was a spring break. So I did like a spring internship and off cycle internships and stuff. I, the thing for me is just trying to, and I know it's hard because you know, studying in itself is, is a full-time job and you know, you've got a part-time job on the side of that and other things you need to balance. But I think it's just taking it step by step and knowing where your limits are. I wouldn't encourage anyone to maybe do exactly what I did because my situation and circumstances are probably different to a lot of people. But if you can, if you see gaps in your calendar where you're like, okay, I can use this gap to study, I can use this gap to work part-time. Um, and then if I can get an internship, maybe I can ask for that internship to be during this period, if it's an off-cycle one, or, or knowing that internships are happening every spring so in april every single year for sort of corporate roles and then the summer internships that are happening as well baking that into your calendar so saying okay in this period of easter i'm going to use this one week to get an internship and then reverse engineering it from there this internship goes live and i'll be doing it in easter so when do i need to apply okay september so i need to you know, get 10 applications in september 10 in october in the hope that i get an internship in april so kind of working it backwards from there but um, I, would, I would also say like just give yourself some grace you know studying is is challenging it is tough but where you see gaps in your in your calendar and in your schedule trying to make the most of that um and not just I guess wasting it away because you don't want to look back and think okay if I did use that time to do this then maybe the situation could have been different so that would be my advice is there anything you would have done differently, Reggie, knowing what you know now and kind of now you're in the world of work? Are there, th- are there things you didn't get involved in that you wish you had? Um, yeah, I mean, this is quite... A, for me, it was... I didn't play football at university, which I guess for a lot of listeners probably won't be that applicable. But um, because I played at quite a high level when I, I went to university, I thought I'm going to not distract myself with football. And I was... I was conscious that if I did get myself involved in football and, you know, I was playing for the university team and I could, I, I've i got a habit of just like just going harder than I need to and I'll probably distract myself and not study as hard as I needed to. And I guess this is the first time that I had, I guess, put all my eggs into this education basket. So I, I, I thought I just need to give it all I've got and kind of move away from football. But looking back, I wish I spent some time playing football and just using some of the downtime for for that because I was very I was imagine a spectrum right you've got someone that is I don't know maybe quite quite lazy and goes with the flow and someone that is super productive and tries to get everything done and you know is almost go 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 I was probably on that side and I, w- I wouldn't reckon recommend, recommend that too much um I was probably a bit hyper productive or hyper competitive or if that's even the right word to use here but I think I would have found myself sort of with a, with a bit more balance. Like, okay, I need to do an internship, so I will apply and get all my applications in. I need to work, so I'll do that. But if there is a university five-a-side match or university 11-a-side match, I'll go and do that. And for anyone that's listening, for me, it could be football. For them, it could be, I don't know, art, or it could be writing, or it could be poetry. Whatever you, wherever you find your downtime, I'll say incorporate that into your schedule as well. And I, th- I don't think I did that enough at university. So that would be my my biggest. Um, if I could go back, that's what I would do. Can you still do keep your piece? I can do like over a thousand. Well, no, you can't. In all in one go. 100%. I did a competition like a couple of years ago where you had to send 
it was the most keepy uppies and uh, I recorded myself I think I did a thousand or something it was an eight minute video well I can do three so yeah. <laughs> anyway yeah. um, as part in your journey you've talked a lot about mentorship and you know you've had some great mentors as part of your journey yeah. how I mean to approach somebody to mentor you that's that's a really great example of kind of pushing through your comfort zone and kind of you know because they could always say no so how would you advise our listeners go about if they're interested in mentorship finding and approaching someone who could be a mentor for them yeah it's a question I get asked a lot how do I get a mentor and anyone that's familiar with my journey will know about how how much mentorship has played in my in my life and getting me to where I am today so I am a bit of big advocate for mentors and mentorship in general. How you get a mentor is there's no set there's no set answer. I mean, nowadays it's it's a lot easier to get in contact with someone because you're either almost one removed from someone or you've got platforms like LinkedIn which enhance our connectivity dramatically. So I would say, you know, if there's someone that you you know or you see that you resonate with, start by making contact with them. How you make contact with them is down to you. You can send them a LinkedIn request or you can write them a handwritten letter or you can connect with them on social media. However you do that is, is down to you. But I think just taking the bold step of getting in contact with that person, but also making it a tailored outreach. So not a generic, <clears throat> hi, my name is this, can you mentor me? But why do you want them to mentor you? you know, what have you seen from them that you think can add a lot of value in, in your life? What are some of the things that they've done that you can reiterate to them to show that you've actually done research into that person and you're not just sending a blanket email to 30 people hoping that one of them lands? Because the people that you are potentially going to reach out to are you know, busy people. They have a lot in their schedule. So if they do sense that it's a generic message, chances are they probably won't respond. But a tailored message, someone that has spent time in what they're they're saying um, and has spent time to reach out and can list out the things that you know they think they can add value in, I think it will be a lot more beneficial. Um, but that's one way. Another way is if you're going to sort of networking events, um, making sure that you are um getting like their contact details and following up I think that's that's really important as well I know you've got a busy day of meetings ahead Reggie so I've just got one final question before you leave us um what would you say that is the most significant reward or lesson that you have gained from having left your comfort zone and what message would you like to leave with our audience I would say I want to say is a lesson I think I would answer this question by saying almost with a, a statement um like coming out my comfort zone, the first time I really came out my comfort zone changed the course of my life forever. And <clears throat> that sounds very dramatic, but it's there's no other way of wrapping that up. Like meeting Quinton and I guess doing what I did in order to meet Quinton. So going knocking on doors and trying to find out how people amass wealth. That that was a turning point for me. And you know, fast forward, it's been sort of almost 10 years that I met Quinton and my life over the 10 years have changed dramatically. I've been able to do the things that I early dreamed of doing for my family and just in terms of my career and you know, me and some incredible people that have you know, benefited my journey and my, and my career and my life in general. So it wouldn't be 
and advice, but more so, I guess, a testament. Like, if you are looking for proof of what your comfort zone or coming out your comfort zone could look like, hopefully seeing my journey and, and seeing where I was and I guess what I've been fortunately able to do today will show how much your life can change when you come out your comfort zone. So hopefully that serves as a, as a testament to anyone that's listening. Reggie, thank you so much for being a fantastic guest on the Aspire podcast. I'm sure our listeners have written loads of things that they can get involved in and will be definitely pushing themselves out of their comfort zone. But thanks, Reggie. Sheffield Hallam University is one of UK's largest, most diverse universities with a community of around 37,000 students. The university's mission is simple. They transform lives. Sheffield Hallam is an award-winning university, recently receiving gold in the Teaching Excellence Framework for Outstanding Support for Student Access and Progression. Individuals from all backgrounds are provided with the opportunity to acquire skills, knowledge and experience to succeed at whatever they choose to do. Thank you.